dude, I turned 40 this week. Fuck me. Dude, I turned 40 like a month ago. Give us a round of applause here. Cheering, some cheering. Come on, sound effects person. Play it. (laughs) No, no, that's making fun of him. That's the wrong button. (laughs) Love it. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, you and me both, dude, dude. It's this big deal, actually, but, by the way. It is a big deal. Yeah, I don't think it's a big deal. I still feel 17, but, but the point I wanted to make <laughs> is that... Uh, <laughs> oh, there we go. Boom. See, we can work with you, Simon. Bitcoin and blockchain technology has captured the world's attention with its promise to fundamentally change the way that business is done across all industries. But where there is so much promise there is an equal amount of confusion about the technology and crypto instruments. In December 2017, the Bitcoin price was at an all-time high of $19,783. The world's media went crazy, saying that Bitcoin's price had gone parabolic. And despite the warnings of savvy investors, ordinary people invested into Bitcoin without knowing the full extent of the risks involved. People took out credit cards, second mortgages, and personal loans to get into the cryptocurrency gold rush, But just a few short months later, over $600 billion was wiped off the value of cryptocurrencies and the large majority of people lost everything. But some investors became millionaires literally overnight and in the process became financially free for the rest of their lives. But are cryptocurrencies the answer to financial independence for a few or for many? To get the answer, we have launched a new series called Crypto Kung Fu, which will take an investigative look at the current news, risks, and opportunities in the cryptocurrency space and give you access to the world's leading crypto experts right here on the MapRound Show. Listen closely to our $1,000 trading challenge, where we will ask these experts to trade with our money to prove whether the world of crypto, like Bitcoin, really do live up to the hype. Oh, and if you'd like to join the conversation, you can reach me at MattBrownZA on Twitter and Instagram, or search for The Matt Brown Show on Facebook and YouTube. Hi guys and welcome to the fourth episode of Crypto Kung Fu here on The Matt Brown Show. And I can't wait to get started because today I'm being joined by technology journalist, thought leader, technologist, fellow podcast host and author of In Math We Trust, Simon Dingle. In this episode, we uncover some interesting developments floating around the internet regarding crypto. Specifically, whether Facebook's currency Libra is a pipe dream or a reality. What's going on with North Korea's sanction dodging antics and how EOS nightmares are slowly coming to fruition to a China clampdown. How OTC or over-the-counter desks are being used by disruptive digital banks who are essentially sticking their hands into the crypto cookie jar. So join us for an exciting and in-depth discussion and some laughs, especially when we start trash-talking the news in the crypto space. So without further ado, enter the man, the legend, that is Simon Dingle. And we're live. Hey guys, welcome to part four of Crypto Kung Fu. We are plowing through the world of cryptocurrencies. And as it turns out, we probably lost a bit of money yesterday in our $1,000 trading challenge. Thanks, Ran, uh, for your trading advice. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, with me on the line today is uh, a good friend of mine. He is what I would regard as one of South Africa's probably thought leaders in the space of cryptocurrency. And uh, he is also the book of In Math We Trust. His name is Simon Dingle. Welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Welcome, Ben. Oh, you got a clap track now. 
<laughs> I know exactly. I've got I've got more effects as you are about to experience. It's going to blow your mind. Mm-hmm. We've we've really pulled out all the stops. Worked with the best producers. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. How times have changed, Matt. I know. I know. Geez, sir, how times have changed. What has changed in in the last eighteen months? Obviously, your book came out uh, in Math We Trust. Um, mm-hmm. What? Uh, on top of your book, of course, feel free to talk about it. Um, have you observed over the last 18 months since, uh, since we were podcasting together about cryptocurrencies? I think if I had to sum it up, I'd say that it's sort of reminding me of the old days of open source and Linux, which I was a big part of. Um, as a teenager in the 90s, I fell in love with Linux and got very involved in the movement and some of the companies and organizations working um, in that space. And back then, Linux had been through the the ignore us phase and it was in the middle of the laugh at us phase. You know the four phases of um, of dominance of a movement. First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Maybe, not necessarily. Um, but Linux was in the laugh at us phase. Everybody thought that nerds were being stupid and crazy and this thing wasn't going to take off. Um, and that's when I joined the movement and then they stopped laughing and they started fighting at us. Uh, in 2003, Microsoft launched a campaign called Get the Facts. They spent millions of dollars trying to convince the world that Linux was a terrible idea um, and spreading misinformation about it to try and kill it, which, of course, didn't work. Um, and then we won. And now Microsoft is still around, obviously, and kill them. But the best place to get Linux now is in the App Store on Windows 10. So yeah. <laughs> Microsoft went from trying to fight this thing to embracing it and becoming actually the biggest corporate proponent of open source software, which is quite a, a remarkable turnaround. Mm. But if I relate that to cryptocurrency, I feel like we are coming to the end of the laugh at our stage. Um, mm. First, they ignored us, got used to that, um, laughing around of 2017, and then they started again when it crashed. Crashed, um, in inverted commas, because it didn't really, but that's another story. And now I think we're starting to see the beginning of the fight us phase. Um, there are a lot of organizations, individuals, people that feel threatened by the rise of cryptocurrency and they're starting to become quite combative about that. So, for example, there's a lot of misinformation being spread about Bitcoin wasting electricity. We've all heard the story. Um, and one of the biggest articles that's been written about that was actually advertorial that was sponsored by uh, American Express. Mm. Um so American Express paid for this piece of misinformation to be produced. Um, so I think I'd say that's the phase we're at now in the movement is um, nobody's laughing at us anymore. Well, some people are, but they've started fighting some of the organizations that should be embracing this technology like Microsoft has now embraced open source. Mm. They'll get there eventually or they'll die, but they're going to fight first. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How will we know when um, you know cryptocurrencies will seriously be taken seriously? Um, and, um, I mean, what, what's the, in your, in your mind looking forward, like if it happened later this afternoon, what, what signals would you look out for that would indicate that, you know, crypto and blockchain as the technology has finally, you know, really begun to, what's the, you know, like Malcolm Gladwell's the tipping point. When will we know we're there? We'll know we're there when the institutional players start arriving, um, you know, when, and we're seeing this in spots already. Um, but when you can get cryptocurrency holding accounts from your bank, when we start seeing mutual funds, um, 
adding cryptocurrency to their investment portfolios. When the institutional money arrives and we see the first sort of widespread regulation take off in the rest of the world instead of just in the spots it has already, I think that's that's when we'll know that we've turned the corner and we're now moving into the winning phase and out of the fight us phase. You know, the banks that are resisting this and the organizations that are, you know, running misguided advertising campaigns like American Express, they'll either embrace this technology like Microsoft did with open source or they'll die like the very many enterprise software technology companies that try to fight this to the death, literally to the death. Mm. Um, and now, I don't know that we'll win. Maybe they will squash cryptocurrency. I doubt it. I don't see how that could happen. Yeah. But um, but that's how we'll know. And tell me very quickly before we dive into the news, but um, what does uh, winning look like? Uh, that's the interesting part of the discussion, Matt, because nobody knows. Um, I mean, if you had told me in 2003 when Microsoft was spending millions of dollars to try and rubbish open source, if you had told me that they would be the biggest proponent of open source in 2019, to the extent that the latest version of Windows 10 actually ships with the Linux kernel, (laughs) um, I would have laughed at you and I wouldn't have believed you. Um, Nobody saw that coming. If you had told me that all of the world's smartphones would be powered by Linux in some way because Android is based on Linux and iOS is based on BSD, which is a spiritual, I don't know, ancestor to Linux, if you will. Lots of nerds are now raging listening to this podcast, but they get what I mean. (laughs) If you had told me that, I would have said, well, what's a smartphone? Because it didn't even exist back then. Mm. So winning never looks like you think winning will look, and it certainly never feels like you imagine it'll feel. <laughs> um, so I don't know, but I look forward to finding out. Cool. And uh, I'll be on that train with you when it finally arrives in the station. Woo-woo! <laughs> Do we have any like train train sounds or anything? No, nothing? You're fired. Okay. <laughs> uh, maybe next time I speak to you, tears from now, man. Yeah, exactly. I know. You know. Uh, are we good? Have you got a number for me? <laughs> Okay, cool. So a quick update on our $1,000 trading challenge. Um, what is the number, voice of reason? Have we, are we up or the are we down? voice of reason. Good. Right. We mostly down, except for dash went up. Oh, now it says we're at a loss. So we're, we're mostly at a loss, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. So how much of the $1,000 that we had yesterday do we have left? So for BTC... Gone down 17%. Okay. So what I'm going to ask you to do is um, our IT guy here, Caleb, is also like a serious crypto fanatic, is going to give us a number when we get to... Will you have it now? Yes. Okay, go. We have lost $50 since yesterday. Of $1,000 by putting a 10 trade spread on the top 10 altcoins since yesterday. Okay. Well, that's not bad. I was thinking we would be completely in the black there. You know what I mean? I don't know. But hey, I'm a pessimist. So, Simon, let's move on to the news. Great. And in today's special report, we're going to start with (laughs) uh, this title here called Facebook Crypto Libra Faces a Grilling from 26 Central Banks Today. So, Simon, this has been coming up um, constantly on pretty much all the episodes. This is a whole move by Facebook to essentially deploy what is referred to as a stable coin, I believe. And, um, and this looks like a serious move. If you're, I don't know how you feel about it, but if, uh, if I was going to be interviewed by 26 central banks, um, and it's quoted here saying that Facebook
Facebook is set to go through another round of extreme questioning as it goes ahead with the plans to launch its controversial cryptocurrency, Libra. Um, and so they're being grilled in Switzerland, I believe. Anyhow, Simon, Libra, is this a real thing? Are we, are we really going to see widespread consumer adoption? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Mm, I, 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 we first need to see it launch and it's doubtful at whether they'll get that far. Um, you know, unlike Bitcoin, which there is no central authority that can be attacked or no central locus of control that can be blocked. Um, Libra very much can be stopped by regulators and so far, almost all of them have said they will do that. So I don't know if Libra will ever launch. If it does launch, there of course, are, are other serious barriers to entry for it that it needs to get past in terms of consumer adoption. Mm. But um, I'm kind of skeptical at this stage whether or not it'll ever get off the ground just because regulators have already said they're going to try and stop it and they actually can. You know, in order to to put off Libra successfully, the consortium behind it, um, it's not just Facebook. It's They've gotten many companies involved, many individuals, because they'd never be able to do this in isolation. Um, even though they're spearheading the charge. But in order for Libra to take off, it's, it's, it's backed by a currency board, basically, where the idea is that they will hold um, shit tons of fiat currencies that will um, back the price of Libra. So Libra will be pretty stable, is the theory. Mm. Currency boards have always failed in history, and I'm not an economist, so I won't get too technical on the discussions as to why. Um, but in order to do that, they, they need the support of central banks and other regulators that I don't think they're ever gonna, going to get. So I think Libra might be DOA. Yeah. Um, who knows? Maybe I'll who, be yeah, wrong. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if you do, if you're, if you are Facebook, um, I suppose you do have some leverage, right? Um, the only thing that I, I suppose that, you know, outside of the points you've made around regulation and, you know, because basically Libra would threaten the existing central banks currency, right? And that's what Possibly, the stink yeah. is. That's primarily look, what the I, stink is. I disagree is. with you that Facebook's got leverage. Um, really? If you look at the EU, for example, the EU is notorious for hating massive software monopolies. Um, they've tried to tear Google apart. They've fined Microsoft many billions of dollars over the years. Uh, there's no love lost between European regulators and Silicon Valley. Um, there's also a disdain for Facebook, um, you know, in, in the public, given the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal, which may or may not have, you know, won Trump the last election, etc. Mm. But Facebook has a bit of a cuck name, no matter who you speak to. So I don't think they have much uh, leverage and even less political sway. So this this is probably the biggest point, right? It's that um, 
if I don't trust Facebook with my data, why would I trust them with my money? And Facebook's answer will be that you're not trusting them with your money because Libra is a consortium and it's not uh, something that's controlled by Facebook. Of course, they need that to be true. Once again, the EU would rip them a new one if it wasn't, um, mm. which it isn't. <laughs> but that's what they need you to believe. So their answer will be, you know, this isn't a Facebook project. Facebook is sort of the main sponsor of it, but there are other companies involved, in, including Uber. There are a whole bunch of them. Uh, so that would be their retort to you is it's not a Facebook controlled currency and therefore you should trust it in isolation just because Facebook is sponsoring it doesn't mean they're going to get any data on your transactions. Okay, cool. Um, I want, uh, there was one particular post um, here, this one. Germany passes national policy to explore blockchain but limit stable coins. This sounds eerily similar to the kind of sentiment that we've just covered, right, around um, you know, the central banks around the world essentially making moves to essentially combat the launch of a Facebook-led Libra. Mm, look, I haven't read that story about Germany. It sounds like they are acting against stable coins in totality, um, of which Libra is one of many. You know, there are others like Tether, which is a US dollar stable coin. My favorite one is DAI, which basically uses... Um, game theory to peg its price to the dollar. It's a fascinating experiment. Hmm. So there are many stable coins around and it sounds like Germany has said they are against all of them, which is fine. I, you know, stable coins are useful, but I don't find them particularly interesting except for DAI. Yeah. So just very quickly for our listeners um, and the voice of reason who clearly has forgotten to use her microphone. <laughs> uh, but uh, what is a stable coin. We're talking about stable coins, talking about Libra. Give us the headline. What is it? Well, stable coin is just a cryptocurrency that has a stable value. You know, the price of Bitcoin, for example, has been very volatile since the beginning. It goes up and it goes down and it swings and it looks like it's on a roller coaster. Whereas a stable coin is designed to keep its price stable, as the name would suggest. So the, the first big stable coin project was Tether. Um, which was launched by Bitfinex and friends. <laughs> mm. um, and Tether was designed to have a value of $1. So it should never be worth more or less than $1. And the way they did that was they bought a lot of dollars, like hundreds of millions of dollars, stuck them in a bank account and then issued tokens backed by those dollars. A little bit like real money used to be backed by the gold standard until we got rid of it and replaced it with the bullshit mm. standard. Mm. So, that was the theory, and of course, there was a lot of controversy around Tether because how do you prove you actually have those dollars in the bank? Um, and that led to audit processes and all sorts of interesting discussions. Um, but there are other stable coins that use different methods. Um, I mentioned DAI, which is a project by MakerDAO, um, and DAI uses game theory. It basically creates a little economy where traders are incentivized to keep the price of DAI at $1. It's D-A-I. And, uh, and that's interesting. DAI has so far maintained its value. It's proven this little piece of game theory um, and, and it's done a very good job. So that's another example of a stable coin. Now, in the case of Libra, it's a bit different because they'll hold a whole bunch of currencies. So they'll have dollars, they'll have euros. They'll essentially create what I mentioned before, a currency board where they hold treasuries in several currencies and then they'll peg the price of Libra to the average of those treasuries. And so Libra will have a stable price that'll be like a, um, a combination of all of those currencies. Uh, so also designed to be stable, but in a different way. Hmm. 
Very interesting. I'm looking at uh, their coin market cap graph and it looks pretty stable yeah. to me. Dyer's done a great job. And if you go to um, Compound Finance, it's just compound.finance, you can actually um, take out loans in Dye or create loans in Dye. And I think you can earn over 10% annual, annualized now if you lock Dye into one of the uh, loan contracts. Um, so there's a lot of fan- like amazing things happening with bonding curves um, and these compound finance models in this whole DeFi movement, uh, which stands for decentralized finance. It's, okay. uh, it's quite a time to be alive, Matt. It is. I'm fascinated by this stuff. So I'm, re- I'm on their uh, website for our listeners, compound.finance. Feel free to check this out if you are not driving. Um, but it's a, the Compound Protocol currently has $7.2 million of REP earning at 0.03% interest. What is REP? Yeah, the most exciting. Uh, it's a it's a it's a token. Oh, a the token. most exciting the most exciting asset on Compound Finance at the moment is Dai. Um, if you want to make pretty stable returns, uh, you can buy some Dai. You're not going to lose value on the Dai if it does its job. It'll always be worth one dollar, but you can earn over ten percent on the loans you create with Dai. And um, mm. two observations, maybe Matt. The yeah. first is. If you think this shit's going away, you are smoking something serious, right? Sucks. <laughs> Just Definitely look at the amount sucks. of money locked into sucks. these contracts. Yeah. Um, the smartest people alive are doing this stuff right now, and they're not going to stop doing it, and they don't need your permission to do it. So that's the one thing to think about. Mm. The other thing is all of these systems, any the ones that matter anyway, are built on Ethereum. So DAI is built on Ethereum. The entire compound finance infrastructure runs on Ethereum. Um, Ethereum has got to be the most undervalued thing in the world right now. I don't understand how its market value could possibly be left than, less than Bitcoins. Now, the Bitcoin maximalists will tell you that it's because Ether is a shitcoin and blah, 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 blah. They're basically just very short-sighted. Um, I tend towards maximalism myself, so I also will tell you that Bitcoin is the only game in town because it's the only one that's really proven itself so far. Mm. But if I just look at the amount of good work being done in the DeFi space built on top of Ether. It's ridiculous to me that Ether is trading at the price it currently is. Mm. Well, what is it trading at now? It's like $170 or something like that. Uh, I will tell you exactly because I've got it on my widget on my phone. I just need my, where's my phone? Yeah, it's $208.99 at this moment in time. Here you go, coin market cap. Two hundred and eight ninety nine. We're going to talk a bit more about Ethereum when we do our Crypto Cats feature, um, but let's park that there. Thanks, Simon. That's a that's a great one. Die guys, check out uh, Compound Finance and to learn more about Die. Um, cool. So we covered that. Right. So this one was interesting for me. Again, this is related to this Libra story. And and what was interesting about this headline, which is Binance is pitching its stablecoin as a government-friendly Libra competitor. So if for those of you that don't know, Binance is an exchange. And... Um, and it the was biggest in, exchange in the, world. in the world, yeah. And it's it's interesting that an exchange would come out with something like this. And uh, the quote here from the CEO is: "You could say it's a response to Libra, or you could say it's an alternative to Libra. I would say it's like a strong competitor." So I don't know what the move here could be, Simon. What's your view here? Why is the world's largest exchange, you know, going into a place like or? basically positioning themselves as an alternative to Libra when we know that the you know central banks are already combating the idea of mm-hmm. Libra anyway. So why would an exchange do this? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak for CZ. He's the brains behind Binance and the reason that they're doing this. Um, but I do think that Binance has a better shot of pulling this off than Libra does potentially. Really? Um, 
Yeah. What makes you, you say know, that? Binance has a Binance has a pretty good name with the world's regulators. They run two regulated fiat exchanges already in Jersey and in Singapore. Mm. Um, they are the fastest moving team in crypto and one of the most professional. Um, I should just add a, a, a little uh, disclaimer in that my business is a Binance partner. We do some work directly with Binance. So cool. anybody who knows that might suggest that I'm biased. Anybody who works with me will know that I don't really give a fuck who I work with. If I think they're doing something wrong, I'll say so. <laughs> yes. But just so you know, um, I do have an interest related that to was Binance. a great comment. Well um, but, um, but, but that aside... Um, I am. I'm. I, I mean, I think the entire industry is just blown away at Binance from zero to an eight billion dollar company in six months. Um, their profits in the first quarter of this year were eighty million dollars. That's all public fact, by the way, mm. um, or public knowledge rather. And um, and I, I just think that they're one of the most formidable teams in crypto. So I think they might be able to pull this off. As to the reasons why they're doing it, etc., because it's useful, because it's something people need. Um, but I, I can't I can't really say more than that without speaking for people, which isn't cool. Hi there, guys. So Crypto Kung Fu is proudly sponsored by Prime Health and ZA Nootropics. If you're listening to me right now, I know that you, like me, want to get the most out of your day. So whether you're an entrepreneur, a crypto investor, business leader, or simply a regular guy or girl like me trying to build something of value for yourself, you need what I have, and that is a customized mix of premium, high-performance, smart supplements and adaptogens from Prime Health. This stuff is the bomb. So these products have helped me to make every day a success and help, have helped me improve my brain health, cognition, and overall stress management. ZA Nootropics are ready to help you too, so simply head on over to zanootropics.co.za and browse the online store of amazing smart supplements, and I highly recommend the Lion's Mane Mushroom. It will blow your mind. But whatever you buy, enter the code NINJA20 at checkout, and you'll receive a 20% discount on your order. I cannot recommend these guys highly enough. So go there now. That's zanootropics.co.za. No, I get you. I get you. Would you say, and I'm speaking here not knowing at all, but it's just a sense. So I wanted a, a hypothesis. Would you, could you ever characterize, um, uh, in the context of what they're trying to do here with their coin Venus, um, do you, could you ever characterize an exchange as a digital bank, and in what and and in what context? They're definitely custodians, so they're custodial services. They do look after keys for you, and and you can store your cryptocurrency with them. Um, banks are a slightly different thing. Firstly, banks uh, utilize fractional reserves. Um, no cryptocurrency exchange worth its salt would run a fractional reserve, which means that they're actually holding less money than um, – well, they have less money than they're holding for their customers, for example. Um, so if you take the sum of the balances of all bank accounts at a bank, they don't actually have to have that money available. They only need a fraction of it available to um, settle any withdrawals on any given day. Mm. Um, a cryptocurrency, a true cryptocurrency exchange, or any true exchange, wouldn't run fractional reserves. If they said they were holding, you know, a billion dollars worth of client funds, that's exactly how much they would have. Mm. Um, so, so that sets them apart. Banks have different aspirations, and typically, banks are organisations that you take loans from. Um, now, there is lending in the Binance ecosystem, for example, similarly to what you can do with Compound Finance. Um, so you could make an argument that they are bank-like in that regard. Mm. But I think really what we're seeing is a new animal emerge, um, Matt. Like 
I've always made the case since 2011 that cryptocurrencies don't resemble anything that's existed before, really. They look like a combination of things and something we've never seen before. So really, we're talking about a whole new asset class that hasn't been accurately defined by any of the world's regulators yet. Um, and along with that new asset class and what it enables um, and these new protocols that we now have at our disposal, we're also seeing a new kind of organization emerge. We're seeing companies like Binance, companies like Luno, that you know they, they're kind of like exchanges in the sense that we know stock exchanges existed before. They kind of like banks. They're sort of like insurance companies, some mm. of them. Yeah. Um, but really, we're seeing a new, a new breed of animal. That um, that hasn't really existed before, and uh, perhaps comparing it to the things that do exist already aren't, isn't always useful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they. True. I guess you could True. you could say they're kind of like a bank. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, the East is a fascinating uh, angle to the whole cryptocurrency space. Um, I want to talk to you about two things. One is about China, and the other one is about North Korea. So starting with China, um, obviously they've banned crypto as far as i understand um and we're talking about this yesterday with ran neuner and um this one came out and and the headline is everyone's worst fears about eos which is a i hope i'm pronouncing that correct are proving true um and that obviously eos is a a cryptocurrency it's the world's seventh largest blockchain by market cap with a value topping three billion dollars since february 2019 um and so what i understand about this one is that the entities behind eos or that own the primary the, the the larger portion of the eos blockchain are based in china and what that is doing is it's prompting fears of state intervention um, Simon, what are your views on, you know, China banning cryptocurrencies? Obviously, you're a big proponent of, you know, the win in the end. Um, how does, you know, something like this, how does one change the narrative around this kind of thing, if it, if it is at all possible? I mean, you know, if you're going to take on um, China, how do we get them to say, okay, cool, let's let's play, let's win, rather than, you know, try and uh, inter- intervene uh, wherever they can? So, China has never banned cryptocurrency. Um, that's part of the misinformation that's often spread about cryptocurrency or okay. the short-sighted views that are given on the news. Um, but China has limited access to cryptocurrency. Um, it's, it's to a large degree limited institutions' ability to deal with cryptocurrency. So it's not that they've banned it. There's, you know, you're allowed to own Bitcoin as a Chinese person, um, but they, they have limited access. They're not nearly as hostile as, for example, the Indian government that is very actively trying to um, block usage of cryptocurrencies within India. Um, and, of course, the Indian central bank is also launching their own cryptocurrency. So they're launching their own fiat currency backed by um, blockchain technology. So there are various agendas at play there. Um, so, so just to set that aside, China's, China's kind of medium-friendly on cryptocurrency. They're sort of cautious, as they always are, and obviously – it is a surveillance state, so they're looking for ways that they can surveil cryptocurrency, and I think that's probably their biggest concern with it. Um, so leaving the ethical and philosophical discussion aside, that's very definitely what they're trying to do. As for EOS, I've always thought it's trash, um, so I kind of glaze over whenever there's news about EOS because I've never really cared about it. <laughs> um, I don't find EOS compelling as a project. I don't find it interesting um, whether or not the Chinese government has an interest in it, uh, you know, I don't care that it exists in the first place. So, I don't so, so should you buy or China's should you sell so. EOS? <laughs> do, do I really need to answer that after what I just said? 
If so you have EOS, now, you can not later. put as quickly now. as possible on trash. You can hit it again, hit it again, Chase. So now, not later. Now. And you heard that here, right here. Just don't buy it in the first place, dude. <laughs> you know, if you have some now, I don't know, maybe the price will go up one day. But it's got dude, such a nice, know. I want to be part of this EOS tribe. You know what I mean? No, you really don't. <laughs> oh, it would make me, I would literally sleep like a baby. If I could have an EOS tribe on my phone right now, you know what I'm saying? Like Matt Brown yeah. at eostribe.com. I could, my life would be complete. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I, you know, I sound really negative and nasty. I wish the EOS peeps all the best. I just personally don't care about what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Trash talk. We should, we should yeah. totally introduce a new segment called Trash Talk. You get to trash any coin you want. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Oh, shit. Sorry. That was a private joke I made on my list. <laughs> yeah, I made my... Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, there's over 2,000 cryptocurrencies. It's frightening. Yeah. And, it's so, and what most I, of them are trash. And most of them are tra- <laughs> trash. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, how do you even begin? I mean, you know, like if you take DAI, for instance, you know, if I was just Googling stablecoin and I came across DAI, like I wouldn't know if I could trust it, you know, at all. Yeah. And then times well, that by 2,000. You have to do your cryptos. own homework, okay? Well, this is it. But I think there's, there's an important point in there in that people like to talk about cryptocurrency as if it's all the same thing. It's like food, you know? Mm. Food is bad. No, food is good. Well, fuck. First, it depends if you're talking about carrots or hamburgers or donuts. You know, <laughs> food. All food is not the same, um, and you you can't begin to compare something like Dai, which is using game theory to peg its price to the dollar, to Bitcoin, which is you know an experiment in Austrian economics and sound money and has a finite supply and is deflationary and blah blah blah, mm. or Ethereum, which is designed to be a programmable store of value and a general use blockchain. These things are not all the same. They might, you know, make the same sound when they knock on the door, but once you open it up, there's something very different behind each one. So to talk about cryptocurrencies in one breath, the moment somebody's doing that, you know they don't have a fucking clue what they're talking about. And dude, one other thing I've noticed is that, like, I mean, between Ran, yourself, Adam, and Tone, I mean, you guys are like, you live and breathe this stuff every day, and I would regard you guys as, like, you go to you guys to get information sort of thing, or at least to test your own, your own knowledge. And, um, <clears throat> and the thing that's been fascinating across all of you is when you, all of you have trash talked the news. Have you noticed that? Mm-hmm. Like every single one of you have gone, no, 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 it's complete crap. Or it's this isn't this, or this isn't that. Every, no, there's no consensus. And, and, the, and the issue there for me is like, you know, and the whole reason why we're doing the show, just to remind everybody if you haven't caught the headline, is that we're trying to empower you with information so that you can execute and get into crypto if you feel like it, it marries with your values and or just avoid the risk completely. Um, and, uh, and in the end... And also, you shouldn't listen to us. You should do your own homework. Yeah, Don't totally. take my word for any of this. No, and this is not... Like, go out and get the facts yourself. But it means looking beyond the news, like you were saying, Matt. Like, no, exactly. You know, That's I don't know. Point. I've worked as a journalist. I know what it's like. You get five seconds to push out as much link bait as you can on a story. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. You don't actually do your homework. And then you just find the most sensationalist thing you can write about EOS or Binance or whatever. Mm. Um, so if you, know. want, if you, if you yeah. want the real deal, you have to go beyond the news, unfortunately. And I say that as somebody who loves and supports the media and has a project that's trying to enrich journalists, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, there are some that do a good job, but they're few and far between. So you really need to spend time online engaging with communities, doing your own homework and not taking people's word for anything. Don't listen to me 
don't think that I know what I'm talking about necessarily. Go and do your own homework, make up your own mind. Um, but definitely, definitely don't take your cues from the news. Yeah, that's one of the big, big lessons that's come out already just after three or four episodes. Okay, cool. And then this one, I mean, this came up um, around North Korea. This is a slightly different thing. I mean, we covered the, the fact that Kim Jong-un wants to hold this event. This one is basically saying that North Korea plans a Bitcoin-like cryptocurrency to sidestep sanctions. Um, so... I mean, wow, right? Like, just wow. Um, sanctions are a very serious thing. They are effective. Um, and if you can do this as a, as a, as a state uh, to avoid sanctions, like, that is a very, um, I suppose, um, interesting development, let's call it that way, without being too judgmental on it. Simon, what is your views here? North Korea, their own cryptocurrency to sidestep sanctions, essentially becoming, um, you know, less influenced by political or global political influences like America, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. I have an opinion, to be honest, dude. Sorry to be boring. No, no, no. But, if you don't have one, that's cool. You know, Venezuela, Venezuela had uh, you know, a similar experiment where they launched the Petro, which was a complete and utter failure. They launched it for similar reasons. Mm. Um, it's not entirely clear in my mind how having a cryptocurrency of your own um, as a state would help you get around sanctions. Mm. It's sort of like, um, you know, because technology, but I don't fully understand the thinking behind that. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd, I don't know. Um, what happened I do with- know that most states are, ha- have at least looked at having their own cryptocurrencies. It's something the South African reserve bank has considered. There's some African countries like Senegal that are very actively pursuing government blockchains. Um, we know the Indian government is doing it, of course. Um, so I, I suspect many states will do this to varying degrees of success. Mm. Um, you know, North Korea is very near to um, a failed state in, in many regards. Certainly not a happy place for its citizens um, and has bigger problems than whether or not it can launch a cryptocurrency, which may or may not help it with its sanctions. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So well, with Venezuela, I suppose it's a slightly different context. So their their fiat currency was in free fall; it was basically worthless. And uh, and then they launched the Petro as an as as it was kind of like a PR stunt to to influence public sentiment around the president uh, Maduro. And um, mm-hmm. and and that was basically. I, I mean, I don't know what happened with the Petro specifically. I mean, did it ever? What what transpired? Like, was it was it actually launched? Did people? take up on it because uh, people could didn't launched you know they couldn't draw cash out of atms they couldn't pay but you know pay for basic things like bread and milk yes it launched it fizzled out and it's still around but it's not being used in any meaningful way that's my perception of it or my knowledge of it mm. um, i haven't looked into it for a very long time i think it was very poorly conceived i think everything from the economic model to the technology implementation was just terribly done mm. um and so, yeah, I think it just failed on every dimension. Cool. Last one, and then we're going to move on to our next segment. Uh, Binance to add fiat to crypto OTC trading in a month. What's this think about this over-the-counter trading? Does this mean you can literally walk into a branch of Binance and trade? What does that no, mean? No, it means that they essentially add as a broker and an escrow for people wanting to buy and sell off of the exchange. So... If you've got a lot of money um, and you want to buy Bitcoin, for example, 
you don't actually want to do that um, on an exchange because of what we call slippage. Obviously, when you buy a lot of something, you make the price of that thing go up. Um, and if so, if you're buying like a hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin and you're doing it on a public exchange, as you buy it, the price is going to be go up while you while you're buying it. If you understand what I mean. Yes. Conversely, if you're selling it, um, so to avoid slippage, you do OTC or over the counter deals. Um, where you try and deal directly with somebody who wants to sell you a large amount of cryptocurrency or buy it from you, depending what you're trying to do. Um, but of course, how do you find those people? So what Binance is launching is a service where you go, hey, Binance, I'm Matt. I've got $100 million. I'd like to buy Bitcoin. And they go, okay, Matt, we'll connect you with somebody um, who wants to sell $100 million and they'll go out and find either one or a group of people to sell you that amount. They'll broker the price. Yep. So I'll go, hey, Matt, we found you. This guy wants to sell you $100 million worth of Bitcoin or the school or this group of people. This is the price. You agree on the price. But then the most important service, arguably, that a good OTC desk runs is escrow. So there's always that trust dimension, like who sends the money first, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you send your $100 million? Do you know you're going to get the Bitcoin back, etc.? So what a good OTC provider, and that's where the trust element comes in with a brand like Binance. They go, okay. Uh, Matt, send us your $100 million. You can send us the amount of Bitcoin that Matt's buying and we'll hold on to everything. And when you're both happy, we'll release the funds both ways. So that's what an OTC desk does. Um, and it's massively lucrative. Um, you know, OTC desks can make sometimes 5% on a deal, which is mm. really good. That's very high. That's really high. Mm -hmm. Some of them make more than that. Do they? crazy times. Holy mm -hmm. moly. All righty then, that concludes crypto news. So we are going to move on to um, our next feature, which is called Crypto Cats. No, nothing, not even a smirk, no? <laughs> oh my word. See, Simon, I told you we were working with the best producers. <laughs> so this is where we basically yes, <laughs> this is where we basically follow um some very big dogs the pound dogs the pound cats in uh, in the zoo here um and our in feature person in this episode is drumroll we don't have drumroll we need a drumroll we need to add get add that to the list drumroll okay is vitalik vitalik butin you were talking quite fondly about Ethereum. Um, mm -hmm. Vitalik is actually the dude that uh, was the brains behind everything. Um, mm -hmm. And you say it's undervalued. Uh, what do we need to know about Ethereum? Um, and this guy. Just looking at that photo of Vitalik, he was 19 when he started the Ethereum project, if you can believe that. That's, um, that's crazy. kind of crazy. Mm. That, was, that was many moons ago. Although uh, time moves quickly in crypto land. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, Ethereum was designed for a very different purpose from Bitcoin. So it's always funny to me when I see people comparing Bitcoin and Ethereum because that's a kind of crazy thing to do. Um, but Ethereum was designed to be a sort of a general use blockchain. So whereas Binance was designed... Uh, Binance. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Sorry, I was a just looking at my screen because I you wanted know. to... I was looking at market caps and I saw the word Binance just as I was saying Bitcoin. So whereas Bitcoin was designed to be money, first and foremost, peer-to-peer -peer digital cash, yeah. as Satoshi Nakamoto said, 
Ethereum was designed to be multiple things as a programmable store of value. So you could, from the beginning, using a programming language called Solidity, you can create your own cryptocurrencies on top of Ethereum. It's like a platform for making new cryptocurrencies that can do different things using the system of smart contracts, which are self-executing contracts that use oracles as information sources. Um, so we've, you know, we've seen video game systems that are built on top of Ethereum. Uh, for example, somebody showed a demo where you get to a point in a game and there's like a gate that you need to open, but you have to pay to open it. So it's like extra content in the game. You click a button and actual Ethereum flows in the background. So mm. a real store of value exchanges and the gate opens. Um, we've seen things like CryptoKitties, which I'm sure you've spoken about before on one of your podcasts. Um, which are these tradable, breedable cats on the blockchain. Each one is completely unique. Some of them are worth a lot of money. I think the most expensive crypto kitty sold for something like $28,000. Um, it's a game you can play essentially breeding cats on the blockchain. You name it, there's this whole universe now of what we call distributed apps or dApps or dApps mm. that are built on top of Ethereum. Uh, things like an alternative to Twitter, where there's no hosted centralized infrastructure. It runs on the Ethereum blockchain. And every time you post a message, you pay a little bit. So the system kind of pays for itself. Nobody runs it. Nobody owns it. Nobody can censor what you're allowed to say on these systems. Um, so Ethereum is a, it's just a fascinating sandpit for creating new blockchain projects and for running unstoppable applications that have no centralized infrastructure and that are underpinned by an actual store of value and an economy where you can pay for things, take out loans, um, apply bonding curves, use stable coins, and do all sorts of other interesting economic things hmm. online. Um, and it all started with our man Vitalik when he was 19 years old. Um, I'll butcher the story, but I remember him uh, speaking once about playing World of Warcraft and realizing that Blizzard could do whatever they wanted to his character in World of Warcraft that he had spent many hours laboring over and which he perceived real value to. But, um, you know, and, and then seeing Bitcoin and being obsessed with the white paper and thinking about what this whole new frontier of blockchain technology and Nakamoto consensus could use for things like video games, um, online content, etc. Um, so massively smart dude, super interesting and uh, I stand by what I said earlier. Ethereum is massively undervalued. Um, it's less than half the market cap of Bitcoin. And there's at least 100 times more development happening on Ethereum. Um, it's not that I think one is better than the other. If anything, I'm more of a Bitcoin bull than an Ethereum bull at the moment. I just think there, there's a lot of fine work being done on Ethereum. Lots of fantastic developers building dApps. Um, Things like decentralized finance starting to take off. The compound example we mentioned earlier. Um, I don't understand why Ethereum isn't worth at least as much as Bitcoin. Mm. Um, and I think it's because it just hasn't um, it hasn't really stimulated the mainstream yet. You know, if you go out into the street and you ask people if they've heard of Bitcoin, I think at this stage in 2019, almost everybody alive with an internet connection has heard of Bitcoin, um, but not everybody's heard of Ethereum. Um, I think that's going to change very soon. And I think when people start waking up to what's happening in the Ethereum ecosystem, there's going to be hype around it like there was hype around Bitcoin three years ago and things are going to go crazy. He did, uh, this came out recently, Vitalik Buterin talks scalability. And this is like, it keeps coming up and, and I'd like to get your views on it. But he basically says, yeah, uh, quotes, Ethereum blockchain is almost full. 
So, you know, obviously you said there's these decentralized applications. There are definitely use cases for this. It is undervalued. It is a very promising technology. But then the issue of scalability comes again rearing its ugly head. Um, and what does he mean here by Ethereum blockchain is almost full? What do you think? I don't know because I haven't read that story. Um, you know, the Ethereum blockchain is notoriously bloated. Um, and, and like all other blockchain technologies, there are severe scaling challenges. And some interesting things that are happening with technologies like sharding um, and a move to potentially um, changing Ethereum from proof of work to proof of stake as a consensus mechanism. Um, but, but dude, you know, giving, given my background and the fact that I've, I worked in the early days of the internet, the early days of open source, Scaling is always the misguided retort to any new technology is this doesn't scale. Um, and we almost always overcome scaling challenges just somehow or the other because human beings are ingenious. Mm. But if you think back, I mean, I don't know when you first got your internet connection. For me, it was 1995, I think. Um, we, that was when we got our first dial-up connection at home. And I remember downloading Microsoft Internet Explorer or Netscape. It was a browser. Mm. Uh, and the download was one megabyte. And I went over to my friend's house for the whole afternoon while it downloaded. You know, it took like, I don't know, four or five hours to download a megabyte yeah. um, on my 28.8 modem, which was already twice as fast as the previous generation's 14.4. I started on 56K. And that was my thing. Yeah. And everybody was like, shit, you know, the internet's cool, but there's no way you're ever going to get a movie on the internet at one megabyte per five hours, <laughs> you know, mm. whereas now I can download several megabytes in a second. Um, and that kind of throughput, if you had told people in the mid 90s, even the early 2000s, that we would have 100 megabit per second fiber lines at home, and in some places, one gigabit fiber lines, and even more than that, um, for the prices that we're now paying, they would have laughed at you. And so, you know, the cynics were sort of kept telling us and kept reminding us that this internet thing is not going to scale. It's never going to replace telephones. Oh, wait, it did. It's never going to replace, you know, tele terrestrial television. Oh, wait, it has. Um, you know, we'll figure out scaling in blockchain just like we figured out scaling for TCP IP networks. It's, um, it's an inevitability in my mind. So mm. I can't tell you what the answer is. I don't know. That's why you're here, Just Simon. Like <laughs> what the hell? I could tell you what the answer was to, to scaling bandwidth on TCP IP. I could just tell you it's going to happen. I so actually agree with that. If you think blockchains are going away because they don't scale, go fuck yourself. We'll figure it out. <laughs> By the way, this is a family viewing on uh, Amazon Prime, direct to home from around the world. And Sorry, buddy. I never checked that with you. Can I swear? <sighs> fuck it. I suppose you can. Am I allowed? I was, well, it's too late now, Simon. Fuck sex. <laughs> You'll have to, You've you'll opened have to the beep. Pandora's box here, bro. I try <laughs> to keep the F-bombs to like three because apparently if you, if otherwise if you use more than three in 60 minutes, you're not really a you great know, communicator. It is lazy. I should just mm. not do it. But mm. there's there, there, there are a few better ways to say go fuck yourself. Other than <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. So as digital citizens, we are all exposed to the good, the bad, and the ugly of social media and the internet. Being a victim of cybercrime, cyberbullying, revenge, pornography, etc. can be devastating and scary. But, you know, it's not the full story. We do, in fact, have good news here. There's a company called Save T-Net Cyber Safety, and they help victims for free by connecting you with the relevant experts such as forensic analysts, psychologists, and the right people at the police and legal advisors. 
This is a for-purpose company, and they also share the cyber safety message at schools, corporates, and everywhere they can. But they do need your help. So get involved. If you are an expert, join their network or let your CSI funding keep this engine going by empowering safety nets to reach more schools and affected people as possible. If you'd like the full story, check out my interview with Ria Net Leibovitz, the founder of SafetyNet, right here on the Matt Brown Show. And for more information, visit savetnet.com. Uh, cool. The risk, dude. What is the single biggest risk to the world of crypto? What is your view? I, I don't know, dude. I mean, you know, regulators will do their thing. Uh, they're not going to switch off the internet, and they're certainly not going to make us go away. Um, it's going to be, and you know, things are going to get messy and, but cryptocurrencies are here to stay. Um, people like to say it might not be Bitcoin, but something like it. Maybe that's true. I think Bitcoin is such a head of steam now. It's, it's very hard to imagine it going away too. Um, but the risk is that people buy into the misinformation that I spoke about earlier. Mm. Um, you know, when Microsoft spent millions of dollars, um, telling people that Linux was a bad idea, a lot of people believed them. Um, and it didn't kill Linux, of course, but it could have. A lot of people believed the FUD. They were like, yeah, you know, if Linux is actually very difficult to use. So if you use it in your company, who's going to support it? Your support costs are going to be much higher. And that wasn't true. Um, there were stories about it not scaling, stories about it having no return on investment, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Those were all pernicious, bald-faced lies. But if people believed them, Linux might have gone away. And now we're facing the same pile of lies about cryptocurrency. Bitcoin is bad for payments is a pernicious lie. It's not true. Bitcoin has never been bad for payments. It's never been slow. Fees have never been high. If you understand how Bitcoin payments work with this triangle of um, confirmations required versus fees paid versus time taken, underpinned by congestion on the network, Bitcoin always has been and still is fantastic for payments. But the American Expresses, the MasterCards, the Visas of the world, they want you to believe that it's bad for payments, which is just not true. Mm. They want you to believe that it wastes electricity. Um, you know, all of the cars in America use as much power as the Bitcoin network does every three hours. <laughs> um, you know, a single bank's infrastructure uses more electricity than Bitcoin. So, again, a pernicious lie. Um, there's now also this whole, like, woke movement against Bitcoin um, saying that cryptocurrencies are just for douchebag libertarians who are trying to enrich themselves and create a new 1%. Again, mm. it's a stupid, pernicious, short-sighted lie. But if people believe these lies, then the misinformation might win. So that's our biggest risk. Okay. Is does, that people will stop thinking for themselves. Yeah, well, I think that's, uh, that's, that's happened, right? In many respects. You know, we we just sound like old dudes of voice sound. We do, man. <laughs> we do. You know what I mean? We should start our own coin. You know what I mean? I I spend a lot of time and dude, I turned forty this week. Fuck me. Dude, I it's turned forty thing. like a month ago. Give us get a round of applause here. Cheering, some cheering. Come on. Sound play effects it, person. Play it. Play it. Play it. <laughs> no, no, that's making fun of him. That's the wrong button. <laughs> Love it. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, you and me both, but dude, dude. It's this big deal, actually, yeah, but, by the way. It is a big deal. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a big deal. I still feel 17, but, but the point I wanted to make <laughs> is that... Uh, <laughs> oh, there we go. Boom. See, we can work with you, you, Simon. When you, when you hang out with the children now and, you know, spend a lot of time with 
sort of college kids, etc., high school kids, like they're smarter than ever before. They really do think for themselves. They really don't take things at face value. Like, yes, we've got problems with filter bubbles online and social networks not turning out exactly how we had hoped they would, etc. But we'll solve those problems too. Mm. I think people are getting better, smarter, fitter, uh, more ethical, etc. So, um, yeah, I'm not one of those like cynical old fucks, but um, but yeah, let's leave it at that. We'll call F bomb counter. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> so let's move on to audience Q and A. Uh, we did have technical issues in our last show. You know, Facebook wants to launch the Libra, but they, they won't even allow us to play voice notes on Messenger. Go figure, right? Um, so this one is from a lady called Cassandra, and I believe this does actually work. So here's her question. Hi, Matt. My name's Cassandra, and I'm a fan of your show. I'm really interested in Bitcoin, and I wanted to know, are all altcoins shitcoins? Another S-bomb. <laughs> what are your thoughts? I do not think all altcoins are shitcoins. I do think EOS is, though. <laughs> There's your answer. Trash talk. Hashtag EOS trash is. talk. That's Tron the next. Defo is there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There are, there are a lot. Of, there are a lot of shit coins, but no, they aren't. They aren't all shit coins. Um, as I have said ad nauseum on this very episode of your show, Matt, Ethereum mm-hmm. is definitely not a shit coin. There's a lot of value being built on Ethereum. It's an awesome project. I think Binance Chain is cool. I'm a BNB fan. I like what they're trying to do, and I like how positive they are and how they they don't trash talk their competition. It's one of the things I really respect about CZ is he welcomes competition and he just wants everybody to win, which is awesome. Mm. Um, So there are a lot of great projects in crypto that aren't Bitcoin and are just fine. There are a lot that are completely and utterly pointless, like Ripple. Um, (laughs) There's some that may or may not be useful. Um, There's some experiments that may not pan out. There's some wild ideas that may turn out to be terrible. But I'm kind of positive about all of them because we need the Cambrian explosion. We need all of the experimenting so that we can figure out what works and what doesn't. So bring it on. Cool. Love, love those crazy EOS motherfuckers. Love those, those mad Tron boys. Like, I'm glad we have all of them around. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this one is from a chap called Tendai. Hey, I'm a long-term investor interested very much in altcoins as a viable investment. Can you recommend two or three altcoins I should consider investing in? Thanks. Okay, so we know Ethereum is one of those. Give me one more. No, I don't give investment advice. Do not buy any cryptocurrencies. If you're listening to this episode right now, <laughs> I'm not telling you to buy anything. What is he doing? <laughs> what, I, what is this guy? I don't understand. <laughs> okay, fine. Yuck. Is there a why, why there? No? Did you take that off? We need to have a talk, sound effects person. Okay, right. So that concludes audience Q&A. Trading the market, Simon, this is where you give us trading advice because you can. I'm giving you permission. Um, I will not. Come on, dude. You can't not say, listen, you've got how much? Anyway, you've got about 950-odd dollars to uh, trade with. Uh, It's our money. It's in market. You need to give me one trade to execute today. Uh. Matt, Matt, Matt. Buy, die, and stick it in a compound finance contract. <laughs> okay, great. No, um, I, I, you know, the easiest, the, the easiest answer for most people is just buy Bitcoin. <laughs> mm. um, buy, no. buy now. Buy now. <laughs> um, nice. okay. Obviously, I'm an Ethereum bull as well. Um, 
but uh, I don't like giving people investment advice. And I always say like, don't spend money you're not willing to lose. The, when you're buying cryptocurrency, just imagine all that money going away and you being left with nothing. If you're okay with that, then go ahead. Mm. But this is not what you like, you know, put your kids' future college money into. It's not what you build your retirement on. There's no such thing as fast money in the world. Trust me. You can maybe make it fast. You will lose it just as fast. Like, um, there's no get rich quick. So when you hear me talking about cryptocurrency enthusiastically, it's because I'm taken with the movement, the technology, the economics, what it means for the world, um, a better way of doing banking, a better way of doing money. Um, but I, I'm not suggesting that you should go and take your life savings and put it into the stuff. The prices are volatile. They will be for a long time still. You might lose all your money. Um, so I don't, I don't like giving people investment advice. Great. So we're just going to hold. <laughs> we're going to hold. That's yeah. what he said. He said, hold. Hey, man, you do. You he do, said, hold. You do, you do. He said, hold. Me, we're holding. Me, me, I'll probably buy more ether. But you Lock do. that trade in. <laughs> we're holding for one more day. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Simon, for being on the show. It's been an absolute uh, yarn. As always, great to get your views, which are always very well considered compared to some and uh, quite well thought through. I would say you get a B plus from me. Well done. <laughs> you got a B plus, dude. You should be happy with that. You know what I mean? I only got Who's C's. Got an a before? No one. <laughs> really? Who got A's? Anyone? You're the first one I'm grading. I'm introducing a grading scale. Oh, okay. <laughs> in that case, I'll take it. You're done. You're done. You're B plus, number one in the board. Thanks so much, Simon, for being on the show, dude. Really appreciate yeah. it. Anytime. This edition of the Map Round Show is brought to you by networkspace.co.za. In fact, our studios are here in building number four at Networkspace up in Johannesburg. These guys have made us a huge deal, have really bent over backwards to give us the kind of service that most exciting businesses deserve. If you want more information about Networkspace, you can actually come and check out our studio. We are always open to meet new entrepreneurs and business owners from around the country, and you can do that right here at networkspace.coza. Thanks for checking out the Map Round Show, guys. And if you'd like to get the Kung Fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.